Welcome to BIV Today. I'm reporter Tyler Orton. And last week marked the one-year mark since the first case of COVID-19 emerged in British Columbia. Since then, the economy has been thrown for a real loop and exposed a lot of the inequities that have been bubbling below the surface. It's been a particular challenge for women in the workforce, one that economists estimate will have effects for years. With us to discuss the state of women in the business community here in BC and beyond, it is Paulina Cameron. She's CEO of the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, the nonprofit. And Paulina, I just want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Tyler. Good to be here. So why has COVID-19 been so disruptive for women in particular in the workforce here? Well, I'm glad, Tyler, that you said, you know, things coming forward that have been bubbling at the surface, because that certainly feels true. A lot of these uh, inequities are exacerbated right now, but they're definitely not new to these times. And if you look back historically, we know that there's been key barriers for growth, both for women entrepreneurs, but also for women in the corporate sector. And COVID has really led to what many are calling a she session, where women are dropping out of the workforce at tremendous numbers. We know that uh, from last week, a report that CFAB came up with that up to 250,000 businesses are at risk at permanently closing. And many of those are owned by women by nature of the industries that women have been operating in, many of which are service-based businesses. 90% of childcare providers are run by women-based businesses. And then you look at solo entrepreneurs and small businesses that also fit in that category. In April, RBC had done a study that showed that women's labor market participation dipped to 55% for the first time since the mid 80s. So it's been very significant, both on the small bit, small medium business side, but also for women in the corporate space. And, um, you know, as to why, I mean, what's coming to the surface is the challenges we know women have faced in the past around access to capital. Why does access to capital particularly matter, matter right now? Well, if your business is undercapitalized, it means you've had less buffer to weather any unexpected storms. With less than 4% of venture capital going to white women entrepreneurs, uh, negligible amounts to Black, Indigenous women of color, you don't have the same growth built into your business. And so when something like COVID hits, your ability to pivot is deeply impacted by your reality on your balance sheet. Then add childcare to the mix, which isn't for all, which isn't a challenge for all women, but is a challenge for many and disproportionately many women as opposed to men that becomes almost unsurmountable without the social systems to support it, which we just haven't seen, uh, haven't seen addressed in that proper way. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, because we've seen government initiatives focused on, say, wage subsidies, a lot of low interest loans. Do we need to have kind of further, further consideration for ensuring that women are able to continue, you know, making it out of this uh, recession, this economic upheaval, you know, relatively intact and, and be able to compete and, you know, kind of pursue uh, their careers? Yeah, you bet. I mean, Hearing the stat that in April, 55% women's participation in the labor market dipped to 55%. I mean, when you hear that, what that means is that wage subsidy isn't going to support them. They're already out. So many of them are out of the workforce. That's a bygone. So if you're looking at real social safety nets that are actually going to put women at the center, that's what you need to design for first. And I mean, the biggest call around this has been childcare. It's calling for childcare stipends. It's calling for um, deep uh, subsidies around that, let alone things like 
like $10 a day childcare, which has been called for in this province for a very long time. And then when you look at the small business or entrepreneur side, I mean, when you see that women are accessing these wage subsidies or these loans at vastly lower numbers. So early on when the government was rolling out these subsidies, the very early data, both data, but also anecdotally, what we were hearing is that women weren't accessing them because one, they weren't meeting the minimum payroll requirements. So the biggest Mm -hmm. advocacy that was done was around that because their businesses were structured differently, simply by being a small or solo entrepreneur. And two, um, they didn't have the sophistication to understand whether they would qualify and go forward. Fast forward four to six months, the government shifted its delivery model and works in BC with organizations like Women's Enterprise Center to deliver these loans, but they're now under pressure to even meet the demands to get them out the door and the demand for them has skyrocketed now that we're actually meeting women where they're at. So we're not saying here's a solution, women figure out how to make it work for you, see if it might work and see if you can access it. Instead, we're saying finally, here we're going to actually tailor and deliver it to the way you need. I mean, on the entrepreneur side, what we've also been calling for for a very long period of time beyond the childcare um, being a deductible tax expense and being actually a business expense and recognized as such is what incentives can you do to address the systemic barriers that have been in place? So if we know that access to capital has been a barrier, let's get innovative around it. Let's put in place a tax credit for any capital investment going into women entrepreneurs. We have a precedent in it, for example, here with BC, with the BC Small Business Venture Capital Tax Credit. We can enhance it to be focused on women-owned businesses. We can set minimums around public procurement procurement spending and actually invest in supporting businesses being able to qualify for that. There's so much that can be activated here if we make that a core objective. Well, one of the initiatives that I think you're kind of pushing for in terms of boosting inclusivity within the business community is maybe discouraging the use of the term female founder. Can you talk to me a little bit about why that is kind of a, a problematic term at times? Yeah, and it it's, it's kind of two parts. So some uh, entrepreneurs prefer to not identify by gender whatsoever. So they just want to be called an entrepreneur, not a woman entrepreneur, not a female entrepreneur, because we know that the default right now when you say entrepreneur is man entrepreneur, that's really the default. And so if we start uh, stop affixing an adjective to the default, we can start shifting what our definition of it is. The other piece around female versus women, which has been another um, point of contention, is that referring to women as females reduces them to their reproductive abilities in their physical bodies by virtue of the definition of what female is. Female is a scientific term refers to the sex of a species that is capable of producing children. And so the term woman actually refers to human beings while female could refer to any species. And the other part of it is not all women are biologically female. And so the conflation of female to woman erases any gender non-conforming people and members of the trans community. And so you lose that inclusivity right from the get-go there. Uh, it was interesting. I, I went and took a look at my old previous stories. Uh, I, I just did in quotation marks, uh, female founder uh, or female founders to see if I had written it in the past. Uh, I found it in one story and it was actually specifically in reference to difficulty with regards to raising capital. And you brought it up as well and how it, it has been a challenge. Is it going to be that much more of a challenge going into 2021 if there aren't more initiatives taken, you know, by, say, government? Uh, I, I hate to say it, but it might just have to be kind of a government sort of initiative in, in order to spur a lot more of the funding rather than, say, the private sector. Yeah, and I'm a big believer of 
the, the, the place where those two elements can conflate because I think there's absolutely incentives that can come forward from government. And, you know, to your question of, is it going to be a challenge? It already is. So what we're hearing from women entrepreneurs, um, these two great local women who run an organization called Flick, they did a study of uh, women entrepreneurs in North America. And I think it was upwards of 60 or 70% said they were having a hard time accessing capital. This was already a challenge before. You layer in um, a pandemic, which has led people to network less and to travel less, meaning that the only network that you know is your immediate point of access. And one of the reasons why access to capital has been challenging for women is getting into those networks and getting into the people who hold power and money in, in, this, um, in this equation. And so when you layer that on, absolutely, it has been a challenge, let alone with people typically asking women questions that are much more risk um, risk aversive. So they will ask women questions that are more around what is what is the most risky thing that can happen? What can your competitor do versus asking uh, men entrepreneurs around what is the biggest opportunity here? And so when you're in a time where already <laughs> there is a lot of perceived risk, that gets amplified. And so, you know, what can be addressed? Um, yes, I think there are government incentives that can happen here. Things like a venture capital tax credit is an easy way for government to meet people who do want to do the right thing. So I think there's so much, what I'm seeing a lot in a lot of the conversations that we're having right now is there's so much more awareness around this that people want to do the right thing and want to step up and want to get educated around it and find solutions. And so you're seeing more angel funds come forward that are run by women. Now, keep in mind that up until last year, the latest data showed that 8% of angel or venture capital investors were women. So you have that also on that side too. Um, but as you see more of the funds come forward that are actually have gender as a focus on it, government can help speed up that process by putting these incentives or opportunities in place. So you can have the coalition, the, the combo of the two working together really well. So we now have a vaccine in sight. We have a plan to vaccinate all eligible British Columbians by the end of September. Do you think things will just go back to normal, go back to what they were like in the economy prior to the pandemic? Or are there going to be long lasting impacts that this pandemic really exposed? I think one of the longest lasting impacts that we are seeing now that will continue for a while with unless it's uh, significantly addressed is mental health. I think the rates of burnout of overwhelm um, are so high and so significant, both for women entrepreneurs, but also in the corporate space. Every leader that I talk to right now talks about how concerned they are for their workforce and their well-being with women additionally shouldering childcare, shouldering home care, elder care, that doesn't go away overnight. You don't just wake up feeling refreshed and rejuvenated when you get the vaccine. I think the impacts of that are going to be significant. I think we need to invest very significantly in things like counseling and therapy and subsidize it for Black and Indigenous women who have had additional circumstance, circumstances they face as challenges through this. Um, I don't think that's going to go away overnight without significant intervention. I think those who have um, been able to afford that and been able to have access to that privilege will do better. I also think, though, on the flip side, what I am seeing that does give me a lot of hope is the uniting of women supporting other women. You know, there is such um, there's such energy around that right now and action in a way that I haven't seen before that I think that will really change things for how women are able to feel supported and really be um, amplified through this this year, next year and the years going on. 
Are you far more optimistic now than you were, say, 10 months ago at the outset of the pandemic for women in the workforce? I am more clear that there is a collective understanding of the challenges that we face. I do not think we are there yet in terms of knowing and having put forward the solutions that will address them in a systemic, meaningful way. And where my optimism lies is that I think there are brilliant people that are relentlessly working on this that I hope we listen to and that we hope that I hope we center our um, our social net imagining around and that we design for that first. Well, we'll leave it there. I, I do appreciate the fact that you can come over, talk to us about some very difficult challenges that uh, lay ahead, but uh, hopefully, you know, we can get that message out there and uh, make people aware of what needs to be done. But uh, Paulina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Tyler. That's Paulina Cameron. She's CEO of the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. And that's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in. Until then, I'm Tyler Orton.